So uh, Brigham Wyrock, welcome to the journey. And uh, just let me share a little bit. Uh, the journey is uh, a show that I started a little over two years ago. And it is uh, the essence is just trying to capture uh, people's stories about how they may have throughout life had different struggles or different uh, obstacles in their life and how they may have learned from those obstacles or maybe how they decided that they wanted to try something new, try some different adventure. And what were the obstacles along the way that may have made have been those gatekeepers that maybe didn't want them to necessarily go and try those new adventures. And, but most importantly, what were the lessons that were learned along that, that journey? And uh, I know that you, uh, have have explored a little bit and have uh, stretched your stretched your wings a little bit. Um, I've known you. Uh, I want to say since, for sure since your freshman year in high school, um, and so so welcome welcome to the welcome to the journey. Thanks, Kevin. I'm excited to be here and I'm looking forward to having a great conversation. I think freshman year is correct because it was right when Caleb came over from Eisenhower. That so that would have been what freshman year of high school. Um, that we would have met. So, but I'm excited to share a little bit about where I've come from and where I'm going. Yep. Sounds good. So let's start with a question I always ask uh, when the guests come on is uh, when Brigham has an opportunity for fun, what, a, what does Brigham do? So there's a couple of things that come to mind. Um, I love to play the drums. I've, drums is one of the things I've been doing the longest um, since I was about six years old. Uh, I love to play the drums. I have my drum set here with me in Montana. Um, so I play that. It's a good release for me, a good little you know energy boost if I need it. And then also um, anything outside. I love to hike. I love to mountain bike. Um, snowboarding is my number one go-to uh, outdoor physical activity that I would say that I um, enjoy doing for fun. Uh, we briefly talked about it right before um, we started, but I have set a personal goal for myself to reach 70 days on the mountain snowboarding um, this year. And I'm at 62 right now. So I'm about eight days away from that goal. But uh it's fun to pursue something that is, you know, purely for fun, purely for actual enjoyment and being outside and just enjoying uh, the world around us. Perfect. Well, let me ask you, let's kind of dive into that. So, so tell us a little bit about the drums. How did you, how, how, you know, six years old, how did you get introduced to the drums? And then obviously something stuck with it for you to continue, uh, you know, for 19 years. So what's, uh, what, what was the, what was, who introduced you to the drums, who introduced you to music? So my mom was a percussionist when she was in grade school and middle school and high school. So um, I was introduced specifically to that. But also while I was learning to play the drums, um, both my older brothers and my dad were playing the guitars. And I don't know what the drums, I just kind of gravitated towards it. I loved how loud they could be and how um, forceful they could be in a band. And ever since I took lessons for a while and ever since then I've just really um, enjoyed even just the music aspect. I love becoming a music lover and a music fanatic, if you will. And drumming has been the driving force, no pun intended, behind um, that moving train basically because once I started, I just got addicted to it. I just love the feeling of being able to create and being able to you know, make something your own basically uh, with music. So, uh, so then I just never, I could never read music very well at all. Um, notes did not flow well with me. I, my mom told me I had to learn the piano before I could learn how to play the drums. Never learned how to play the piano. Still can't. So drums is just kind of what stuck because I just didn't want to be able, I didn't want to have to read music, if you will. Sure. So, so then your style of learning how to play was really listening to other people play and then mimic the, and making that, making this, making the same sound that you heard on a particular track or a particular song. Most definitely. And that is definitely something that has stayed consistent throughout my life. I'm very much a hands-on learner and a visual. If I get shown how to do something and then I get the opportunity to practice and do it myself, I think that's how I learn best. Um, reading books has never been a strong suit for me. Studying for tests has never really been a strong suit for me, um, but hands-on active learning um, is truly something that has helped me grow in many areas of my life. Sure, sure. And I think, you know, the the arts are, are a phenomenal way, not only from a, a, a way of expressing yourself, but then also you you learn those different learning styles. You you learn about yourself and, and your different learning styles. And like you said, you could have been frustrated and disliked playing music if you would have been forced to uh, study 
how to read music, um, you probably could have got away with it, but it probably would have not been much, very enjoyable for you. And even to the point where it may have deterred you, but to be able to just to experientially learn, um, uh, learning by doing, um, and then by mimicking what you heard, uh, it probably allowed that creativity and that innovation to continue to grow. Oh, most definitely. And it's, Something that I wish I probably could have, you know, when I was younger, worked on more is the actual, you know, the visual of the, you know, reading the music and that it's very much a skill that takes time to learn. It's just like learning the guitar, you know, you, you sit down to read the music, but um, I just, I don't know what it was. It was just the physical touch of, you know, watching somebody. I remember my drum teacher, he, we had two drum sets facing each other. So he would just play something. And I'd be watching him do it. And then it, he would just give me a chance to immediately repeat it. And I could do that 10,000 times better than ever having to be like, okay, here's, you know, here's what you're supposed to play on a sheet of paper. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I mean, I can't, you just play it once. I was, I, it's funny. Cause I just watched the movie drumline with Nick Cannon from 2002. Yep, and yep. He has the same problem. He can't read music, but as soon as somebody plays something on the drums, he's like, Oh, I saw it. I heard it. Now I can do it. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal movie. By the way, it was oh, one yeah. of my yeah, just phenomenal. It's one of those movies I could watch numerous times. Um, not only from the entertainment aspect of it because of them just being so talented, but an appreciation for that uh, the marching band culture and, and, you know, it's obviously in the, in the Midwest is nowhere compared to it is in the, in right. the, in the South SEC and the other, other conferences in the South end. Um, but a huge, huge appreciation for that, but that was a great movie. I don't Absolutely. know if it's really, I don't know if it's really like that, but I definitely liked it. <laughs> so I think at one point it had to have been. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex exactly. So how did, uh, who introduced you to snowboarding? how that all come about? Um, snowboarding and just winter sports has been in my family as well ever since I grew up. Um, I used to grow up going to uh, Colorado or places in the West with, you know, people like the Onabanis and the Mikliches and people that you know that some of you might not, um, just close family friends. And it was almost every winter we would go take a trip out West. And I have a picture of me in one of those child carrier things on my mom's um, stomach as she's skiing as I'm like two years old. And so it was even before I could even ski, I was out there with my family um, skiing. So I started skiing and then all my brothers and my dad um, transitioned over to snowboarding and excuse me, without, you know, I just ended up following anyway, because my brothers are doing it. I was like, Oh, I got to give it a shot. And I just fell in love with it. Something that I could push myself physically. And I felt like mentally as well, that was just, you know, combining the, aspects of being with your friends and your family while doing something collectively together while also you know um improving your skills True. in some way or another yeah. and, and so tell me uh what 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 for you from your experience what was the one one how was the transition from skiing to snowboarding and obviously it sounds like you prefer snowboarding over skiing it was, I mean, I granted this was when I was like 12 or 13 years old. So it was sure. very early or like right around that age where like, you know, memories start to form a little bit better than, you know, when you're super young. So I do remember the first day of just constant, I didn't want to do it anymore after the first day. Um, I snowboard, I mean, as most people who snowboard for the first time know, you know, the first day you spend a lot of time in your butt, a lot of time in your knees because you're just falling, you're falling, you're falling. And I remember, I do remember this. I remember bawling my eyes out to my dad and telling him I never, ever wanted to do it again, ever in my entire life. And then we came back the next day and did it again. And then I finally got down, you know, because I was just like, why am I doing this? I already know how to ski. I already know how to get down to the bottom of the mountain. Like, why am I doing something that I'm now putting myself into a situation to struggle to then hopefully enjoy this again at another time? However, though, I think that like that 12, 13 year old stage, it's way easier to make a transition like that than it is, whether it be in your early 20s or 30s or 40s, whatever you decide. Like, I think that's an age where you're a little bit more nimble and things don't hurt quite as much as they do when you get a little bit older. So it was, I think it was a good time to make that transition. And ever since I've gone over to snowboarding, I haven't skied since I think I was 13. I just, I just enjoy snowboarding so much. Sure, sure. Well, and I think, you know, we were talking about that earlier about obstacles, right? And, and having that frustration uh, of that first day, and even that second day, probably the, the majority of that second day wasn't going well. And that first day definitely didn't go well. But the wisdom that your, your father saw is that if, if you'll stick with this, 
you will turn a corner and it'll be okay. And, um, and that's obviously someone who had gone through that transition himself and, and knowing it's kind of like riding a bike, right? You know, you're going to fall before you learn how to ride a bike. It's just part of learning how to ride. And then at some point it clicks similar to riding a bike and you, you may still fall, but it'll be a lot less than, (laughs) than staying up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we'll see this theme, I think, trickle throughout this whole conversation that we'll have in many different aspects. And I'll keep coming back to it. But it's um, it's the idea of seeing beyond the obstacle. You know, you may have something in front of you, but what, are, what can you see on the other side? What do you know? Um, it's I, I love David Goggins. I mean, he's a, a beast at everything that he does. But he talks a lot about getting used to or understanding doing things that you don't want to do so you can do things that you love and you can eventually, you know, enjoy. So it's like, I have this obstacle in front of me, but I have a choice. I can give up and I don't ever have to do it again. And I can ski down the mountain just fine, but it's making that initial decision and, you know, having that mental focus and obviously the drive for my dad, because my dad is a very motivated um, human. So he's like, Hey, you know, we can do this. So it's like understanding now that I've told myself I can get to the other side then I can actually make it. And now Obviously, you know, this has blossomed in something into something that I do more than anything else, really. Um, I mean, if you think these 70 days on average, I'm spending five anywhere between five and seven hours doing, you know, this thing. And if you you do, I'm bad at math, but if you do the math, that's more (laughs) that's more time than I spend doing many other things that I could do. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, tell, tell us, uh, the audience a little bit, David Goggins, you were just referred to him. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about what you know of him and his work and just, just because you, you planted that seed and endorsed him. So, but, uh, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about him. So he, I mean, he's an ex-military guy. He used to be, I'm just going to give a brief because you guys can look him up and find him on yourself, but he used to be extremely overweight, you know, 200, 300 pounds, and then lost all his weight went through the hardest Navy SEAL training that there is to become a Navy SEAL, failed, I believe, two or three times at the very end of the test that he, I don't know if he, I think he passed out underwater or something like that, but like a very critical part of, you know, becoming a Navy SEAL. Um, And now he is just a hard ass. He just loves to drill into people's brains that the mental attitude and the uh, mentality that you come at a task with is 99% of your success rate is going to be determined by that. And I think, I mean, I have an extreme love hate relationship with him because I love him so much because I get a lot of motivation from him, but other times I just look at him and I'm just like, it, he makes it sound so easy. Like he makes, uh, he makes it sound like getting pat, you know, running. I mean, what he ran a hundred miles in whatever, some crazy amount of time. And mm-hmm. I, I could, that is just something that I can't even wrap my head around. Yeah. But I think there are values that he does preach and that he does talk about, like, you know, like the mental idea of, you know, there's a very specific video, which I'll share with you after we're done here, but that he just very much talks about, you know, the sooner that you get used to doing things that you don't want to do to put yourself in a better situation to do the things that you want to do, the better off you'll be because, and I think this is, you know, if understood correctly, can be very helpful for a lot of people. But it's understanding that, you know, I mean, I'll go on a little bit of rabbit trail here. But for a long time, you know, I mopped floors at many different places. I mopped floors at Dolphin Swim Club when it was an outdoor pool there. I mopped floors at Peak Sports Club. I mopped floors at the sports club here in Montana. And I always think about that because I never wanted, this is something you ever want to do. But every time that I did it, I knew that the sooner I got done with this task and the better that I did this task, it's going to put me in a better spot to continue on to what I do want to do mm-hmm. and continue on to whatever the next tier of whatever it's going to be for me to get to that next level or to get past this obstacle, if you will, to, you know, continue enjoying and, you know, snowboarding and getting to that point where I'm genuinely enjoying doing this activity instead of just being like, man, I just can't wait till it's over. I just can't right. wait till I get it done type of thing yeah. well well even as you were just talking i, I had a had a reminder of uh one of the times that we would spend uh, i spent quite a bit of time with you and caleb and and at that time carter sanderson mostly the two of you but carter would tag along at 6 a.m in the morning um when you you two i, I want to say you guys were sophomores um would come in and i would train you guys be, um, when we were, when I was a strength coach, um, over at Rockford Christian at that time. 
And, and so we showed up at 6 a.m. for the workouts because that was we figured we could be done within 45 minutes to an hour. And um, and there was some uh, because of the the workouts that I had set up, they were they were powerlifting movements, mostly powerlifting movements. And um, and there was times when the weight would increase. Um, and there was there was definitely a. Uh, uh, you guys face certain obstacles of, of, it was as much, what it reminded me of is when Gragas was talking about the idea of mental, um, and the idea of feeling, you know, 400 pounds on your back when you're doing a squat and going, shit, this is heavy. Um, and, but you had already worked your way up to that mount or how much you were benching or whatever it was. There was this, there was an element that, um, you, you, you weren't, you, you were going to be able to do this. You just had to know that you were going to be able to do this. Right. I think that is a very, very powerful thing. That is probably the most underrated thing in the world is the idea of telling yourself that yes, you can. And I had a conversation with someone not too long ago about this. And we were just talking about something and I can't remember what it was that we were talking about, but we'll just make something up. But I literally, they look at me and they're like, well, there's no way I could do that. We're talking about snowboarding. There's no way I could ever snowboarding. And I was like, you're right. There is no way you just told yourself you can't, you've already lost that battle. You've already put yourself in a situation to where you know that you cannot do it. But if you walk into a situation, whether it be, you know, PR benching or snowboarding, or even, you know, relationships, like being the best boyfriend or the best spouse that you could be. And you tell yourself, yeah, I can do that. Of course I can. You've already set yourself ahead of so many other people and just put yourself into a better position by doing that because you've literally accepted the fact of success. You've accepted that you eventually you do deserve it and you can do it. Whereas if you tell yourself there's no way, then you're not going to. I think about those 6 a.m. workouts literally all the time. I learned more about myself and my mentality and my drive, I think, than anything else during that time because it was a mental task to get up in the morning and work out with only three other people there was literally three of us there and we all knew obviously if if you weren't there and there was the dedication aspect that we all dedicated we're like i think it was monday monday through thursday or like monday tuesday thursday friday and we're like we all will be here and this is our choice because we want to set ourselves up to succeed and move on and become stronger and better people yeah. And yeah, there's without a doubt, the end goal was getting ready for football, right? That was the, that was the goal that we had, but the lessons that you learn along that preparation are the ones that are uh, tools for life. And, and, and there, and there was an element of accountability and then what you, uh, what you would then accomplish those, those, those personal goals that you guys were accomplishing. And, and then it became, more than football. It, it became yeah. more than just prepping for football. It was, you knew that you had done something, you had done the hard things that other people were choosing not to do. Exactly. And that was where people would look at me and ask me why, why are you doing that? Why are you getting up at 6am? Why are you putting yourself through this workout when it's not required and no one else is there to tell you or to make you do it? And I would look at people and I said, cause I said, I would, I told I made a commitment. I said to these people, my peers, that I will be there and I will do it. And because I said, I'm going to do it, man, my word, I'm going to do it. Right. I think that's where that set the, the cornerstone for me in a lot of the way that I live my life. Now, I don't ever tell anybody that I'm going to do something that I don't firmly believe that I'm going to do. I just, there's just, I just don't feel good about doing that. So mm-hmm. if you were like, Hey, let's get up and work out tomorrow and tomorrow morning. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, there's no way I would feel bad looking at you and even leading you on to the fact to think that I was going to when in my head, I'm like, there's no way. And I think yeah. that's, that's a struggle for a lot of people, because a lot of people want to please other people, they want to make them feel like they can be liked because they're just gonna they're a yes, man or something like that. But for me, I, I had struggle a lot with that. And I think a lot of it comes from those 6am workouts where I committed to something. I remember this very vividly, I told Coach Carpenter, I would not miss a workout for the whole, whatever it was, the whole duration, I think it was the second semester of junior year. So it would have been like January through the end of May. I told him, I, I think I bet him something. I'm like, I've refused to miss a morning workout. I went to Mexico. 
was an hour behind, so it was five o'clock in Mexico. I was on vacation. I got up and I got on FaceTime with Coach Carpenter. I'm like, hey, I'm in the gym. This still counts. Like, I know I'm on vacation, but you have to understand I'm still here. I'm still doing it. This still counts type of thing. Because I was that dedicated because I had made a commitment and I wanted to see it from start to finish all the way through, both from a commitment standpoint, but also from physical goals standpoint and lifting weights and, you know, improving physically, which was obviously 80% of what we were doing there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, I think those things, they end up being a, a platform in which you can build off of throughout life, you know, and we talk about a lot of time that sports, um, regardless if it's competitive, meaning you're, you're going against other schools or other teams, or just your own personal goals, um, or the arts are really then the, the, a really expression of life and and this you know the idea that yes sports are really a metaphor for for life and arts are more of uh kind of this again this uh the metaphor for life right how we can express ourselves but then how we can learn um through the stories through the expression of things through the music um and then, of course, in, in sports, either having to work with a team or just the individual drive that you have to do on an you know, individual activity, like either snowboarding or weightlifting or whatever it may be. So, yeah, so, so, so Brigham, let's kind of bring us up to speed. I mean, you obviously you're from Rockford, Illinois, uh, you know, spent your life there. And then post high school, you you went to University, uh, University of Wisconsin, La Crosse, correct? Yes, Yep. Yeah, and and so when you were at uh, lacrosse, what did what did you study there? What was what was that experience like, and how did life start? You know, maybe moving a little bit different direction because football was a big part. Sports were a big part of life when you were in high school, middle school, and stuff. What what seemed to start changing in in university life? So I'll start with kind of like the transition from high school to college. Um, one of the determining factors of me going to college and where I was going to college was, you know, to play football. I had a mindset. I spent pretty much my whole high school football career after freshman year dedicating to be a kicker. I wanted to be a kicker. I played soccer for a long time and I made the conscious decision when I was in eighth grade that I was going to be too short and not fast enough or strong enough to be a wide receiver or a defensive back. And I just really wanted the experience of college sports. So um, kicking was going to be my avenue to do that. So just before um, I graduated high school, I was looking at places really close. I didn't want to go too far from home. Um, and I just got a, one of the coaches reached out to me from University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. And I was like, ah, we'll, we'll go take a visit, whatever. We'll see what it's like. Um, and I remember I will never forget driving there the first time with my dad. Um, for a game day visit in the fall. And I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful place, an absolutely beautiful place mm -hmm. as far as the Midwest is concerned, just the bluffs, it's a gorgeous area. And I had a friend from that I went to high school with who went there, I met up with her and got a little bit of a tour and just really enjoyed the space, um, but didn't immediately know that I was going to be going there. It was still very early on in my college decision process, but as things developed, it always just stayed in the back of my head that I was like, oh, maybe I could go here. Maybe I could go here. And I wanted to be close to Rockford at the time because I had um, a significant other that I was in a relationship that I was like, well, I kind of want to be close because she was still going to be in high school for another year. Um, and then uh, things with that um, ended and I was like, all right, well, now, now my doors are open. Now I have, you know, I don't have to stay close to home. I can go where I want. So I chose lacrosse because it's a perfect distance, a nice three hours, you can get home quick to see mom, or I can tell her that I don't want to drive three hours if I need to know. But <laughs> so I get to University of Wisconsin Cross. I studied um, broadcasting digital media. So I have a degree in communications with an emphasis on broadcasting and digital media. So originally I went to school to be on TV and radio, um, a newscaster or radio is really what I gravitated towards. And then I had a minor in German, switched to sports broadcasting because I was just really a sports guy. But um. Football is what brought me there, essentially, because that's just kind of, you know, they came to me and it just, you know, all unfolded really well, honestly. Um, and college was a crazy time for me because there was so much transformation, but also just like, I mean, obviously, like it is for anybody, you know, it's a new experience. It's the first time you're living out of your house. Um, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make on your own that can, you know, lead to great successes or, you know, great declines. And that's kind of really on you. So, but what was really cool is I walked into a situation where I was immediately put into a room of brothers. You know, I was immediately put into a room of football players who were there for a collective goal 
who wanted to see each other succeed. And we all wanted to, you know, be there together and grow physically, mentally, and emotionally so we could, you know, succeed in, you know, the world of football. So I played there for the first two years of my college career. And all while this is happening, I started DJing while I was in high school. So I actually DJed our Sadie Hawkins dance my senior year of high school, only like the first half hour. But needless to say, I had already planted that seed. I was already working on my DJing and knew that there was a little bit more of a long-term goal behind, you know, just throwing parties and just playing music for people and things like that. So fast forward to sophomore year of college, um, I was basically like, I got gray shirted freshman year, which is basically like a red shirt freshman. And then sophomore year was supposed to be the year that I really started to, you know, get to play and integrate myself into the team. Um, I mean, I was still obviously doing all the workouts and things like that. And fall camp rolls around um, before, which would have been my sophomore, my full sophomore year of college. So I went through freshman year and then went through like spring camp with everybody and then went through summer workouts and then went through fall camp. I went all the way through the two week camp. Um, and long story short, I had an injury prior to that camp back the winter before that I broke my ankle. And I just kind of had struggled with that a little bit. I healed up well, I did everything I was supposed to and it was finally healing. So I was in a good spot um, to continue to play. So I go into camp for two weeks and every day for two weeks, they tape my ankle, you know, just like obviously you would just to make sure that it's stabilized and whatnot. So a week in, I start to see an inflammation on my ankle and I start to see it swell up. And it was, and it was almost like overnight that this happened. Needless to say, my ankle swelled up to the size of a softball and I couldn't play. And it was my kicking foot. So I definitely couldn't play. And this was right before they were about to make serious decisions on who was going to be you know, on the team versus another gray shirt year or just like a practice squad type of thing. And this was also at a pivotal time where I was about to be 21. And I knew that when I turned 21, I could work in bars and I could DJ in bars. I could be in more places where alcohol was served, which is a big you know, dividing line of what you can do as a DJ because legally you just can't be in there. And I kept saying, I had a, a debate for a long time, a very long time, but going back and forth, you know, do I want to continue to play football with maybe the chance of kicking, you know, full time for this team, but like, what's going to come of that? Or do I like really want to gravitate towards DJing because what's on Saturdays, college football games and what's on Friday nights and Saturday nights, DJs in the bars. So in my head, I'm like, oh, I had this really hard time. And to be honest, I'll never forget the conversation that I had to have with my mom, because as you can imagine, both my mother and my father were not super jazzed at the time um, that I didn't want to play football anymore, as themselves had invested a lot of time and effort into helping me succeed in that area of my life by taking me to football camps, you know, cheering me on financially, getting me to all these football camps type of things. So it was a, it was a tough conversation to have, but I do remember having the conversation and hanging up the phone. I went for a walk around the neighborhood and I told myself, you know, if this is this, if this is the decision that I'm making, then I need to make it knowing that I'm going to put my best effort forward into this thing that I'm actually deciding to dive into. Cause I, I told myself either way I went, if I chose DJing, if I told, chose football, I had to do it 110% because that's just who I am. And that's what I, I needed to prove to myself that I could be the one on the football team as the starting kicker, or I needed to prove both to my parents and myself that I could be the DJ that I always wanted to be type of thing. So that was about my sophomore year. I quit football and um, within a calendar year of that time, um, I started DJing bars downtown and across and um started really putting my time and effort into that side of my life. So I became the general manager and the program director for the student-led radio station. I did that for two years. I got an internship with the radio station um, in lacrosse, working for three different radio stations, being out in the streets, promoting things, and then also working, you know, really crappy shifts at 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings, you know, reading the weather for 15 seconds. But I really dove into it, and I knew that that's what I had to do to really let my DJ career blossom. So that was about sophomore, junior year that I really tried to put a lot of time and effort into it. And then after my junior year of high school, or excuse me, college, and my senior year then as well, the summer, those summers is when I started doing, you know, weddings and special events and things that um, required a lot more time and effort 
and are just another level of DJing themselves. I mean, there's a big difference between, excuse me, there's a big difference between DJing a bar and, you know, and then hosting a wedding or hosting a nonprofit event or anything like that that just requires a little bit more um, skills and refinement to just talking in front of people. So that was, like I said, the summer after my junior and the summer after my senior year of college, um, when I also still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was dating a girl at the time um, and we had some ideas on, you know, we want, we knew we wanted to move. I love the Midwest and it's got a special place in my heart, but the mountains are just, I've gravitated towards them since I was young, since I was taking all those trips. So I knew that I wanted to move somewhere West and we had some ideas on what we thought we wanted to do, kept talking about it. And just like anybody in their early twenties, um, in a relationship, it's hard to really know, you know, a year from that time, you know, there's nothing really set in stone as you know, it, with anybody's life, but, you know, we were just making plans and we're like, we thought this is what we could do. This is what we could do. So I graduate college in four years, which was a huge thing for me because I was, you know, it was a part of that DJing thing. I was like, you know, if, if I'm going to be done, you know, cause I could have gone to school for five years to continue my football career since I gray shirted and really taken up that full time. But I told myself, you know, if I'm choosing the school and the DJ route that I, I have to do in four years, like this is something for me that I personally need to do. And so I got in and out for years and college to wrap that up, like really provided me with a lot of opportunities to just be around people. I really fell in love with people. Um, I created such a large yet close-knit group of friends that I know I could call any one of them on a list right now and have a fantastic conversation with them. And I keep up with a lot of them still, which I think is the ultimate testament to how strong those relationships are and how curating them properly can help them continue to grow beyond you know, mm. not being in the same room as each other three days a week for two hours type of thing. So college really put me in a position to feel the love for my peers, but also taught me how to reciprocate that in an effective way so that people knew exactly how I felt about them. Um, and people knew exactly what they could get from me for a lack of better um, verbiage. There's just, you know, people would come to me and we'd have great conversations and there was never any question of the intention or of what was truly going on. It was just genuine conversation, um, whether it be about the most random things, whether it be about life, business, DJing, anything, you name it. It was just awesome to really share that with that many people. Because um, fast forward to, you know, DJing world now, I meet on any given weekend, I'm meeting between 100 and 300 people I've never met in my entire life. And I have to help you know, the bride and groom or whoever the event is for, um, help them have a successful day or help them have a successful event when I'm in a room with people that I, I really don't know very well. So college gets wrapped up and we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do. Girlfriend at the time wants to move to Missoula, Montana to pursue an internship that she got accepted for. And so I literally just sent an email to an entertainment company here in Missoula Gave him a little of my DJ resume, as much as you can have with one of those. And I was like, hey, this is my skills. This is where I come from. This is what I'm doing. Um, are you guys hiring? And I was, I, I'll never forget this either. I was at the YMCA on the second floor looking over Main Street in La Crosse while I was on the treadmill. 24 hours after I sent the email, got an email right back, said, you have a job. Like, we need all the help we can get. We're growing, and we think that you'd be a perfect fit for us. And I was like, well, there we go. I was like, I, I was going to go be a bartender. I didn't know what I was going to do. This is great. This is awesome. 24 hours after that, the girl that I was dating broke up with me. And, and so now I found myself in very much a situation where I had a choice to make. A very difficult choice. But to me, I think the choice was always clear. Um, I had where I could, you know, stay in lacrosse, where I had a great you know, opportunity employment wise, just with the brewery I was working at. And then I could also do weddings in Rockford, which is where I was doing a lot of my business at the time, as far as DJing, um, or I could make the jump. I could go to Missoula um, and choose to take this job and, you know, see just where that would take me. And I ultimately, that's what I chose. Um, and I just made that jump on a leap of faith, but also kind of like with a safety net. I always told myself, you know, your hometown's always there. You know, the comf comfortability is always there. But I was like, if I have to sit in my house and wonder what could have been or what should have been or what might have been, 
I'm going to go crazy. I, I just, I need, I need to do this. I need to, I never had a chance to study abroad, which is one of my biggest regrets in college because that was something I was wanted to do. Um, and so to me, this was like my study abroad. This was like, this is my chance to really leave, to really be 1500 miles from my home, 1500 miles from my friends, my family and, and what I know and what I love. And I was thought to myself, you know, this is, this is a chance for me to grow, me to grow by myself. Um, and really grow into who I want to be when I'm by myself, which I think will ultimately lead to me being a better person where I am with other people. So I made the jump. I moved to Missoula, Montana in May of 2019. Um, and I've been here ever since. And I love it here. It's a great place. I go home often. As you know, I'm back in Rockford quite a bit, which is great because I love my family that still lives there. And I still love to see old friends and people there, but um, I do truly enjoy uh, my life out here in the mountains. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a catch up to this. Sure. Yeah. Day is basically. Yeah. yeah. So during that time period, and I know this is an ongoing process, right? I mean, you know, regardless of what age, I, I don't necessarily believe we stop learning and growing unless we make that conscious choice to stop you know, uh, developing and growing. And so what would be a, a couple things just making that move? Uh, I guess that would be coming up on two years, you know, making that move, obviously the, on, on, on paper, there were some plans that you and the, and the girlfriend at the time were going to make this move. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, the job opportunity comes, but the relationship opportunity ends. And I'm guessing you didn't know anybody out there then. Um Correct. Yeah. So what, what things would, if, if, if there was one thing that stood out to you, taking that, taking that opportunity that you learned about yourself, what would be one of the, one thing that you would say stands out to you that you learned about yourself by making that, by choosing the, the narrow path instead of choosing the familiar path? Let's see. That's a tough question. Cause I think there's a lot to be said about, just that in general, because it, it really opened up for a lot of other things to happen. Um, but truly, it's just like perseverance for, you know, it's just in the idea of kind of circles back to what we we're talking about before is I knew it was going to be difficult. I knew moving away from my family and the people that I love and the people that I've known for years and years and years was going to be tough. But I also had this weird itch that I was like, but there's something on the other side. I was like, there's something that's over there. Because if there wasn't, then there's no reason why I should feel like I should go there. So I kept thinking to myself this whole time. I was like, I knew, I mean, I will not lie. I spent countless nights by myself in my apartment with my dog because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. And at that moment of time, I was really forced to, like I said, decide who I wanted to be when I was by myself. You know, did I want to be the person that sits in my room and doesn't do anything and stares at a wall and just watches TV all day? Or do I want to go outside? Do I want to go on a hike? Do I want to go, you know, lucky for me, I have a lot of access to that stuff here. So, you know, mountain biking and stuff like that and just driving around and just seeing stuff. That was, it was all on me. I had nobody to tell me what to do. It was like college, but almost to another level. Cause I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a roommate for a while. And then I had a roommate who our schedules were opposite. So I had nobody telling me anything or giving me really any super ton of guidance on what to do. So it was like, basically, you know, I go to college and I create this great group of friends. And then I basically go back to square one and I don't live in a dorm room. So I can't meet a bunch of people. I don't really personally want to go to the bar every Friday and Saturday night to try and meet people. That's not where I think I'd find my friends. So I really had to force myself to find a way for, to integrate myself into Missoula and the mountains and being out here and what I wanted my life to look like. Mm -hmm. It was almost like a blank canvas. It's like, okay, here I am. And it's up to me to really drive this train in the direction that I want to go. And I get to choose. And it was tough because as a DJ, you know, I'm working maybe two days a week, you know, Friday or Saturdays and Sundays or Fridays and Saturdays. So that's what I was. That was my schedule when I first moved out here. So I had, you know, five days a week where I really just need to fill my time. And, you know, I went to the gym. I would go to the gym for four hours a day because I had nothing else to do. But I loved it. I learned to love it. And I've grown physically a ton since that happened because I just decided to put more effort into that. And, you know, I put more effort into my DJing and practicing and perfecting my craft and so many other things that I just may have never had a lot of time for 
to do by myself that I then started to work on. So I think, I mean, I said perseverance in the beginning, but I think just maintaining self-motivation mm-hmm. for like, so almost like a perseverance, if you will, but maintaining self-motivation when self-motivation is the last thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Because when you get to that point, when you're absolutely absolute bottom and you don't have any motivation, you don't have anyone to lean on to tell you, hey, you can do this. Hey, yeah, you, you got this. Or, hey, you should go do this. Then what are you going to do? Are you going to sit still? Or are you going to keep paddling? Are you going to keep going, you know, in the direction that you want to go? So I think that is a super big part of that whole move was just learning self-motivation and learning, you know, how to effectively use your time too is another thing. It's just something that's you know, underrated is time management and, you know, putting the right amount of time into the right things. So I hope that answers your question. Oh, no, absolutely. And I have had a couple of different, you know, opportunities in my life where um, I, I was very aware when this, tr- when, when transitions happened, you know, when I, when I no longer was bodybuilding and, and that ended and I didn't know what was the next, next thing, you know, and, um, and, and realizing that in some ways I had a full, I was fully capable of creating the life that I wanted and, and creating who, who did Kevin want to be? Um, I knew what I didn't want to do anymore and what I wasn't going to do anymore. Now here, here's this, here's this opportunity. And, and, uh, it, and, and sometimes oddly enough, it's easier when you don't have anyone else around you reminding who, reminding you of who you used to be. Um, and, and so if you want to make those changes, you know, the people at Mizzou, they didn't know you, you know, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't know who you, who you were. So who you presented to them is who they are now getting to know. And, um, and I think there's an, there's, there's something to be said, scary as that is um, lonely as that is, there's also then opportunity and that obstacle as well. Right. And I totally agree with you. It's, I was ultimately faced with another difficult decision, just like, you know, with deciding where to go to college and why I wanted to go there and then deciding to quit football and why I wanted to quit football. I was put into a position now that I, after I had moved, I had a decision to make. I have a decision to learn and grow in a way that I've never been able to before because I've never been, you know, I've never been by myself like that before. And I mean, until quarantine, I think, a lot of the world had never been forced to be by themselves like that. And I think, you know, there are obviously, you know, a lot of the mental issue, uh, mental health issues and a lot of suicide rates are on the absolute skyrocket um, since yeah. quarantine and since COVID has happened, which is extremely unfortunate. But I think it is a testament to show you that people, one, truly aren't, we're not meant to be alone. And two, a lot of people do not, ha- do not know how to handle being alone. And I'm not saying that I'm the perfect person at it, but I think that that's when people can really struggle the most because once they can hear their, you know, hear themselves in their head and once they're completely in silence and by themselves is when you have intrinsic thoughts and other things that have crept into your head that you're kind of can, you can let really affect you. So that's, I think where a lot of decisions, you know, and I'm saying this and this is no easy task. I don't want that to, be what I'm saying at all but that's where you are forced to you know make decisions you know you know how do I handle this how do I handle this situation how do I handle being alone um what is a way for me to you know cope with realizing that I am alone and that I am lonely well you know what is that what am I supposed to do with that because I went from a ton of friends and a girlfriend and a great life and something that I thought that I truly wanted to not that I didn't have any friends but I wasn't around any friends and no girlfriend and by myself thankfully I had my dog that always helps um, and just put in that position to where it was kind of up to me, <clears throat> you know, I could lean on my family and I could call my mom, but you know, that's only going to get you so far because there's nothing physical about that. There's no, you know, action, physical action. Um, and I think body language is a huge part, huge part too, um, of just the whole mental process and being mentally healthy. So, like I said, I mean, it was just an interesting place to be in and I am very thankful for it because I think it's made me better in my relationships by now knowing what I felt like when I was alone. Yeah. Well, and I think there is that element that, that plays into it. One, you know, you had, you know, throughout your life, there had been things that you had set goals around and you had worked hard toward goals. And even if it didn't maybe turn out the way that you thought it was supposed to, the lessons that you learned along that preparation part were incremental. And then the idea that you were out there 
you know, initially you were out there for a reason because you were hired to be a DJ out there. And so then you, it sounds like you made the decision to channel some of that energy into then being the best you could be and really practicing that craft instead of just phoning in or just getting by with the, the skills he had already developed, but trying to really bring it to that next level. And now you had actually the time to really do what a lot of people don't do. And they, and they find that, you know, they talk about this idea to master something you have to put 10,000 hours in. And, and, you know, a lot of times people will, you know, they'll complain about, well, I'm going to try to fast track. Well, there's a reason why they say to master something, it's 10,000 hours, because it's all the things that you learn, including learning bad habits uh, along the way, because then you have to unlearn them. And that takes another, you know, how many hours to unlearn that, but it's all part of that process of, of mastery. And so, and I don't think I truly, appreciated that time alone um until quarantine happened and that's when i really saw a lot of what i learned come to full fruition um and learning how to maximize my time um i mean lucky for me i will not deny i was in a you know a a very fortunate situation during quarantine where you know i live with my best friend and another one of my best friends so you know we're all in a house together um so we weren't alone or weren't completely by ourselves but you know we my roommate and myself uh, were forced to, you know, make decisions who were both people that are both self-employed and have a skill. He's an engineer, um, a mechanical engineer. And we both consciously made a decision one day that a minimum of four hours a day, we would separate and we would go into our rooms and work on something and work on, you know, perfecting something. So at the time for him, that was learning a new engineering software and learning a new CAD program. And for me, that was standing behind my turntables and just practicing for hours and hours and downloading music and thinking about music differently and just forcing myself to use this time that we've been given um, to be productive and to really, you know, like I said, just like being alone the first time is putting time into things that, you know, that I think quarantine was really interesting for a lot of people because it took away an excuse that everybody uses all the time. I don't have any time. I don't have time. I can't do that. I don't have time. Well, now you do, but I can only imagine a number of people that still didn't do anything was still insane compared to the amount of people that might have taken advantage of it um, in a different way. And I'm not just saying just work. I'm saying anything personal or, you know, whether you picked up knitting or you wanted to learn the ukulele or something like that, or, you know, yoga or meditating, whether it's been mental or physical. I mean, I feel there's a lot of options, but um, I think taking advantage of that time was a true um, testament to what I learned when I first moved out here. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, and I was very, I mean, we're, you know, we're coming up, we're on the year anniversary of when COVID really, the quarantine really hit us. <clears throat> and I remember being very conscious. It, it was really uh, all the preparation of uh, studying certain aspects of stoicism and studying Campbell's, uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey and the uh, uh, hero with a thousand faces and, and really spending time studying that prior to this, that I then, um, that really helped ground me and start changing the language I was telling myself saying, um, instead of being afraid and waiting for the, narrow, the next shoe to, shoe to drop and not knowing what was going to happen with my employees or with, my, with our clients or whatever it's going to be, is that, okay, how is this, how, where is the opportunity in the chaos? Where, where, is, um, where do we find and look for the opportunity to develop and grow where other ind- other individuals um, may not have that opportunity. We we are going to have that opportunity. We just didn't know, didn't know, and we had to go looking for it. We had to go and make ourselves available. So <clears throat> I remember those first first uh, those first two months. I I was doing a lot of speaking engagements. I had a lot of events already on the calendar, kind of like you probably had events already on the calendar, and they just were dropping. You know, I mean. I mean, I, I couldn't believe how fast they were dropping and, and, and not for sure in my mind, not, not knowing if, or when those opportunities that passed, if they were going to come back again. Right. And, um, and then just 
there was there was a thing that unfolded and all of a sudden I just dove dove into it doing research and developing a new um, uh, some new programming and um, and and that channeled my energy and I became uh, definitely energized with the with the opportunity and I had the time because I didn't have the distractions that I normally would have. And, um, and, and that worked out really well. And I think that was the biggest thing that I've, when I've listened to people talk about it, they, they didn't have the, the, their natural distractions. And so then they were left with their thoughts. And then some people found Netflix and some people, you know, um, you know, found other things, you know, gaming or whatever it is to just to make the time go by. But man, a year is a long time to hold your breath. It's a, it's a long time to just get by, you know, and, and yeah. the, res, the residual of that is not, not real good for some people. Bruno, right. I want to, I want to jump into something. I know that you also in the midst of the DJing, and I know that that must've been a real, uh, there must've been some real obstacles with the majority of your events getting canceled and, you know, the, the, the bars not needing DJs to be there and, you know, that aspect of it, you decided to venture out on take a little, an entrepreneurial uh, venture. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, so during, I believe it was, it was dead middle of quarantine. It was after I felt like I had maybe exhausted a little bit of my wants to continue to perfect my craft after I was kind of getting bored of doing the same thing every day. Um <laughs> to be completely honest, me and my roommate had a few drinks one night and, um, I told him, I'm like, it just out of, out of a whim and out of my, um, little bit of the state that I was in. I was like, Hey, you know what? Like, I've been thinking about this for, I was like, dude, I I've always wanted to kind of maybe create my own beard oil. Cause at this point in time, I had already been making mine for a, a little bit now, just had made a recipe back when I was in college and just kind of always stuck to it. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it. Dude. And then I started just, you know, doing some googling while we were sitting there and um, chatting and I'm like man I think I could do this for pretty cheap and my roommate looks at me and he goes here's the deal if you're going to do this then tomorrow when I wake up we're going to I'm going to make sure that you're actually going to do this this isn't just going to be an idea because this is a good idea and I was like damn all right you're right okay fine so sure enough the next morning rolls around and we get up and he's like hey man you're still doing that though right like you're still going to chase that dream I'm like Shoot. All right. Sounds good. So I spent a week researching um, what it would look like to create a beard oil company. Um, You know, what it would look like to package, label, ship, create on mass quantities um, beard oil. Uh, Like I said, I'll do a quick backstory of it. I started making my own when I was in college just because I found a cool recipe that I kind of perfected throughout the years, started scenting my own. And that was just, you know, the cheapest and to be honest, the most eco-friendly way for me to use beard oil on the regular, because at this time, um, my beard started getting quite long. And so I needed something to continually to maintain it. So at this, when I moved out to Montana, I kept growing my beard and um, basically this idea came about. And so I found out a way and I've learned so much in the process of building a business as I do every day, as I do like maintaining a business. Cause I mean, the DJing that I've done, essentially I'm an independent contractor. So I've essentially built my own business, my own name. Um, I do work for two different companies on two different, in two different parts of the United States, but also in a single entity um, as far as DJing goes. And that's been an interesting process in itself. And I've learned so much about business and entrepreneurship that way. Um, that I wanted to see if I could really transfer what I've learned uh, into more of a retail space or more Mm -hmm. of a lifestyle space. So the biggest thing for me with this company is I wanted to create something that was really eco-friendly and sustainable because I'm super passionate about the outdoors and the environment and making sure that, you know, what I'm creating isn't, you know, multiplying the waste. Cause that was my biggest pet peeve is when I would get beard oils from different companies, I would just get shipped all these boxes and all these bubble wrap and all this stuff that was just plastic and stuff that would be on the earth forever. And I was like, well, I want to create a sustainable option that is also affordable. I don't want people, cause I think that's a lot of people just associate sustainable and eco-friendly with cost because a lot of times it does cost a little bit more to get stuff that isn't so cheap, like plastic and things like that. So really going through that process. And then once I figured out the logistics of it and what that would look like, um, the idea of just really building a brand was um, was difficult, but a lot of fun. It was some of the most fun I've ever had. And because I've really built Briggs Beard Co. 
um, around myself, around my personality, around who I am and truly who I am to the world and who I want the world to see me as. And that is, you know, an adventurous, outdoorsy person who is very conscious of their environmental impacts and their impact throughout, you know, the community and the world and what they'll be. Because my goal for this company is really to, um, you know, be in the community and be in places and, you know, provide um, different spaces for people to come. You know, I, once events are going to be back up and running, I really want to start to host and be a part of events because I want it to be more than just a beard oil company. I don't want it to be just a service or just a product to people. I want people to think of the brand of Briggs Beard Co. as what I truly am building it to be. And is that is, you know, a community of people with a purpose and with um, a drive to use what they're buying and, and what they're doing to give back to the community, people in need, and give back in, to the environment. So I know that was kind of a long blabbery explanation about what sure, happened, sure. but you know, with that first stimulus check coming through and me realizing that I wasn't going to have a paycheck anytime soon, I was like, well, I should probably try to turn this money into more money. But that didn't work out because we're still, I'm just kidding. But so yeah. it's just the idea <laughs> of like that, that helped, but that wasn't the only reason, you know, it was, yeah, money is great and that will come. But if I don't make a single dollar on beard oil for five years and I get to change people's lives or the way that they do something or the way that they use a product, um, that means more to me than um, the financial goals that I have set in place for this company. Well, I have to, I have to tell you, so Diane, uh, she got me for Christmas. She got your, your Christmas version uh, of it. I had just started growing my beard out a little bit after Christmas. And um, so no, she, she, she must've got it. She actually got it for Caleb, but she had never, she forgot to give it to him. And, um, and then I ended up getting it, went through that whole bottle. And then I ordered uh, a couple bottles just recently for myself. And the the i think it's called mountain man was the one that i got and there's something about um you know how like there's there's small little things every day that you you look forward to and mm -hmm. when i when i you know i only use it one time a day and i <clears throat> when i'm getting ready in the morning it's part of that morning ritual that i put it on and it's and because it's has a, a the smell that I, I like, it's, it's one of those things that are, it's kind of a grounding. You, I get, obviously you get used to the smell pretty quickly. So then you can't smell it, you know, after right. that, but it's, um, but it is one of those things where I, I like, I like the smell and I look forward to it, maybe a little bit of exaggerate, but it is something that it's like, um, you know, like when you get done taking a shower and you feel good about it, even right. though you may talk yourself, try to talk yourself out of doing it beforehand. Um, uh -huh. It's that, it's that, it's that feeling. So I appreciate the, I appreciate the smell of it um, because it, it's kind of a grounding effect. There's a, there's something about it that I, I definitely appreciate. So that's awesome. And I think that's super cool. I mean, the story is like something as simple as that is that you just looking forward to, you know, putting the oil on every day. And then some of the stories from people, I've never met in my entire life and may never meet in my entire life um, just using the products and experiencing what I, something that I've hand created. I mean, I, I fill all those bottles by hand. Um, it's truly a rewarding thing and it drives me to keep going to either create something new and something better or just continue to um, put out awesome products for people that genuinely care. Um, Cause it's, it's the cool thing is like, you know, we plant a tree for every order placed on our website. So whether you like it or not, you're, you're making a difference yeah. when you order something from us, which is super cool. And I think that's just a little add on to a lot of the other sustainable aspects of our um, products and our packaging that I think it's just something that you can feel good about using and being a part of um, that you'd not just feel like you're another number in the system when you buy something from us, which I think is you know a big part of what we're trying to do. Very cool. Now, are you selling more than beard oil right now? Are you selling other products or just, just the beard oil right now? So I have a beard oil and a body oil. So the beard oil is obviously super popular with people with beards, obviously, but it's also become pretty popular with people like long hair, like yourself that like to just put it in the tips or use it as like a leave-in conditioner. And I had a lot of females tell me how much they like to use it but they wanted something more catered towards them that they a product that they could use so long story short i tweaked my recipe just a little bit and have since come out with a body oil for i mean it's it's for all skin types but it is kind of catered 
more in the feminine realm just with some of the sense we have but it's great for all skin and hair or skin types and um that has been a cool thing because that's one of those things that i never really thought that i would ever do but um it was something that kind of pushed me in a direction mm-hmm. just people asking for something that they could use that i have since you know created are super awesome like i don't use lotion anymore i get to use my own body oil product which to me is, you know, a little bit of a sense of pride because like, oh, I made this and this is super cool. And um, now to say it's not even just for females, I have um, a male customer who, it's a crazy story that he told me about how he worked in construction for 25 years. He was in the military and had cracked feet his whole life and they just could not get anything to work. He was using everything you could ever imagine to try and fix his cracked dry feet. And he used my body oil one time because he won it off a giveaway. And he's literally like within two days, my feet are completely healed. And I've never seen this ever before in 30 years. And I was like, that is unbelievable. <laughs> Something that I could have never really dreamed of sure. happening, but just the evolution of what I've created has now, you know, that has been the, the forthcoming thing from it, which is super cool um, to have that. Um, and get to experience through other people um, a transformation, which is really awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So Brigham, as we get ready to wrap up this, this piece of our segment and, and I know, and just, just knowing you, as I've gotten to know you over the years, your, your adventures are far from over. So I would love to uh, circle back around, you know, sometime in the future and have you back and share with uh, what new things you've not only learned about yourself, but what new things that you're now experimenting with. But uh, as we get ready to wrap up today, if there was anything that you would want to share with the audience before we leave, like one thing, and, and again, the audience is a wide variety of people that just, just listen, but if there was one thing that you would want to leave with them, what would, what would you want to leave with them? Oh, another tough question, but um, I would encourage something that is extremely underrated and not really talked about. And I think that's self-awareness. I think self-awareness in the mental and the physical and the spiritual is something that can help you benefit in many different areas of your life. And so let me expand on this just for a second, what I kind of mean like that, just the understanding of your own personal emotions, the understanding of your own physical uh, being, whether it be, you know, physical pain or physical sensation, and then also uh, spiritual, whatever you believe in, whatever you choose to be your spiritual realm that you live in, um, the self-awareness that you can have in each one of those categories will help you tr- truly um, find drive, find passion, um, find consistency. Um, I think one of the hardest things for people in our world right now, across all ages, um, to do is convey emotion effectively. I don't think people truly understand how to, first of all, realize their emotions. Second of all, you know, swallow them, really understand what they are to themselves. And then third of all, you know, expressing that to anybody else as a human. Um, I think the world of technology has kind of hindered face-to-face interaction. And now that we've been forced to be away from each other, face-to-face interaction is, is going to be hard. Um, and I think just being self-aware, like I said, of your emotion and understanding what you're feeling and then effectively communicating that to someone can lead you to great lengths of growth. Um, and then even physically, if you have physical goals and just understanding where you're at and what your body needs um, on a daily basis, whether it's Briggs Beard oil or if it's drinking a smoothie whatever you need daily and then spiritually taking time for yourself um i love to meditate i love yoga yoga has done a lot for me um and it's really kind of you know grounded me uh, no pun intended but i think they're in each aspects of this life if people can really focus on themselves um so that they can help others because like you mentioned in the very beginning you know it's all about the journey. It's all about getting yourself to a point to where you feel like you can potentially give back to others. In my personal opinion, I think it's very important to get to a mental and emotional space to where people can come to me and have difficult conversations and, or come to me and just express their emotions. Um, I took a lot of classes in college on conflict resolution and just interpersonal communication. And it's something I'm really passionate about because I think the personal interaction that we have with everybody every day can be the difference in a good day or a bad day or the first day or our last day. And I think that if we all lived in a way that we thought that 
that we all knew that everything and every interaction that we had with everybody on this planet had an outcome, had some sort of, um, you know, there was going to be something that came from that interaction, whether it be positive or negative. I think once you realize, okay, you know, if I act this way towards this person, you know, it could make a difference. Um, but then again, I think the self-awareness and where you're being, where you're at, so say you, you know, you go to a grocery store and you're angry and you have an angry encounter with the, the clerk at the grocery store and then that clerk goes home and tells their spouse about how their day was shitty because they had someone come in and treat them terribly. I think, you know, once you can realize the trickle effect of your actions mm -hmm. and the way that you um, interact with humans, um, I think we could all make this world a better place if we just, uh, I guess, you know, thought to ourselves, you know, think, think to yourself, you know, understand where you're coming from and why you're coming from that way. Um, and just, I encourage people all the time that when they experience a heavy emotion or something that is difficult or something that they don't know what to do about, they take a deep breath and they, you know, understand that, or they talk to themselves and say, you know, what just happened to make me feel this way? Why am I feeling this way? And what do I want to do about it? Those three questions, um, can really help you grow in a way um, with people and by yourself that can hopefully and eventually put you in a great place to succeed mentally, physically, and spiritually. Yeah. Well, we're going to, you know, on, on multiple levels, you know, because of the opportunity of what I get to do for a living um, with counseling and speaking. Um, I agree with you that self-awareness um, is, is a huge first step. Um, and then that, then, um, that development aspect of being able to develop yourself uh, in, in all three of those areas, spiritually, uh, emotionally, as well as physically, and what you learn along the way about yourself is all, um, is all that preparation. You never know when it's, you know, um, when you may think you're doing it for the 6 a.m. workouts for football, and it may very much be something that then helps you when you're alone um, and you are trying to uh, uh, utilize your time for you know other particular tasks. And so I I think that you know throughout your story and and probably will continue um, that obstacles may may also be opportunities. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Um, but at least there is going to be purpose within that pain. So, uh, so Brigham, I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate what you are doing um, for our community and for a bigger, uh, you know, for a bigger whole, either from a standpoint of making a bride and a groom's uh, day extra special. Um, that was where the last time we saw each other in person, you, I know you definitely did that for Hayden and James, um, and, and the families that were there and as, as well as what you're doing with your product with, uh, Briggs, um, Beard Co. So, uh, you continue the great work of continue to being aware and growing, and, uh, I'll be excited to hear what the new, uh, the new thing you learn about yourself goes. So. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. I'm glad that we uh, got to have this chat and I'm already looking forward to the next one. It's, uh, it's been great. Sounds good. Well, as, as you guys were listening to, to Brigham share about his story and as you um, uh, hear, as he went through different adventures and what appeared to be a setback um, doesn't minimize the pain or the difficulty at that time period, but there's choices that we can make in that, um, in those setbacks and how, um, he, he found some things that he may not, may, wouldn't have found if he wouldn't have persevered or if he would have taken, um, a more familiar path. So I would invite you into doing the same thing that when you find obstacles, uh, look for those opportunities and continue that, um, your own self-awareness in the areas of your physical realm, um, your mental realm, emotional and spiritual. Uh, look forward to hearing, uh, being with you again next week, uh, and we'll be talking to you soon.